Hey guys and girls, and welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the drug development space and supply chain with Wayne Woodard, who is CEO at Argonaut Manufacturing Services. What a thoroughly likable chap Wayne is. I'd not met him before before today's uh, interview, and I was uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with him. Clearly, a very smart guy, but incredibly humble in in his achievements as well. Um, so we you know we kick off as always with Wayne's background, and interestingly, Wayne came from the semiconductor industry, which many of you know is very well documented. It is kind of one of the key kind of contract service markets in the world. And so we, we get into an interesting discussion around you know, what uh, the life science space looks like in comparison with that very sophisticated uh, kind of outsourced supply chain. So Wayne gives great perspective on on that. Uh, we then journey pretty quickly through his uh, pretty very extensive kind of corporate career, um, a few deals and uh, you know leading to kind of more senior positions along the way. Uh, that ultimately led to him starting Argonaut in uh, 2015-16 time. So we we talk about how that came about and what the intention was. Uh, it's just really fascinating from my perspective to hear uh, the thoughts of another founder and entrepreneur and some of the thinking behind uh, the creation of that business and what it's uh, you know gone on to become, which is a really impressive organization based on the west coast of the US near San Diego. Um, he set out to create something special which i loved um, that would impact people uh, and he gets into a bit more detail around that as well and towards the back end we cover as always some trends what's going on in the sector and, and also just their position over on the west coast and what advantages that gives them uh, and listen out for an interesting discussion around wayne's hobby where he also bottles his own wine which i found fascinating for background, Wayne has over 35 years of management experience in operations, supply chain, and general management. His primary his primary focus is in three different industries, has been on building global operation capabilities, with particular emphasis on working with external manufacturing service companies. Before founding Argonaut, uh, Wayne most recently worked at Thermo Fisher and Life Technologies through its uh, Ion Torrent acquisition. He previously worked at uh, Affometics, uh, Affometrics, Electroglass, and Ridge Technologies. Probably just butchered all of those names, but nevertheless, uh, Wayne began his career in manufacturing at Sun Microsystems and focuses intensely on execution and detail, which is exactly why he bottles his own wine. As always, um, thank you for, for listening, for your feedback, um, for all the comments and su- suggestions for guests. We're getting so many through the website now, which is which is great, so keep them coming. Thanks to my team for pulling all this together and producing, uh, no doubt, this wonderfully produced podcast episode. If you haven't already, head to your app store and give us a nice kind rating and leave a comment. And maybe even share this uh, you know, with a colleague or a industry connection. Uh, and given the entrepreneurial focus of some of the conversation today, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, The Floundering Founder, uh, please do so on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Enjoy today's show. Hey, Wayne. Welcome to Molecule to Market. 
Thank you, Raman. It's uh, great to meet you. Raman, I, I've been very excited about this opportunity to chat with you. Oh, that's good. No one's normally that excited to speak to me, so I feel like <laughs> I'll let my wife know tonight. Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, but no, the, the pleasure is mine. And um, yeah, I'm really interested to hear about your story and kind of to what you to do today in your role as, as CEO as well. But let's let's rewind back let's, the clock and talk about how you ended up getting into the sector. So if our listener doesn't know anything about you, Wayne, and, and your journey, talk us through the kind of major milestones that got you to where you are today. So thanks for again for the opportunity. Yeah. So I started in this career about 35 years ago in diagnostics and life sciences, as well as the prior to that, I was actually in the semiconductor equipment industry. And, and even further back into the 1980s, I was in the computer and electronics industry. Each of those two other industries were, you know, really the founder, the foundation of the the concept of outsourcing supply chain solutions were built in those companies. And it, it was a great opportunity for me to bridge that over into the, the life sciences market where I started my career at Affymetrics and the microarray space and got into the next-gen sequencing space, eventually at Life Technologies, where I became head of global supply chain and then eventually uh, head of global supply chain for the life sciences group for Thermo Fisher before starting Argonaut. So you've covered 35 years very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk us through, I suppose, some of the key pivot points or moments. Uh, obviously, you you were you know, spent time at Life, and I believe uh, they were acquired by them up along the way as well. I suppose, what was the interest in, I suppose, the outsourcing kind of space generally in being on the services side of things? Was that just something that was always in your DNA or just something you kind of fell into early on in your career? Yeah, I was involved in it, as I said, you know, all the way back in the 1980s. And it was, it was a rather immature space there as well at the time, but of course emerged as, and as we all know, right? So if you, you know, your Apple phone, your your Apple computer, whatever you want, Dell's computers, whomever you want, all leveraged this concept of variableization of the cost structure uh, through outsourcing. Um, I I watched as I was coming into the, to the life sciences market, how the biopharma industry was adopting this and, and saw this sort of trend of um, maturing as, as companies continued to mature their supply chains in the life sciences space, folks were asking the same questions about how do we, how do we handle the fact that, you know, we would like to have a variable cost alternative to our, our manufacturing infrastructure. We want to leverage the core competencies of experts and, and take them to the next level, um, and, and really grow and mature, um, our supply chains. And in my particular instance, I was working in the diagnostic life sciences side, as you mentioned, and there really wasn't a lot of that happening. But in the biopharma services industry, there was a lot of it starting to happen. Some of it driven by necessity. Um, you know, we were moving away from the blockbuster drugs, and so and then certainly now you have a concept of of a foundryless, you know, biopharma services company where they don't have that infrastructure, they don't need that infrastructure. And they're doing much of what the computer electronics and the semiconductor industry did 25, 30 years ago. Um, so that was really how I um, spotted this opportunity to start a company that I thought would be particularly relevant to life sciences and, and wanted to, to really you know, embrace that idea in a couple markets and, and really and try to grow the company. 
And I have to ask, obviously, given you bring up obviously the semiconductor industry, where I think it's been well documented, you know, particularly in places like Taiwan and China that are very strong in in these areas in terms of manufacturing heritage. Has the adoption of of this in life sciences? How is that compared with what you've seen in that kind of semiconductor industry? Like, has it matured at the speed at which that industry matured, or? Does it still lag behind in many senses? Just curious to see the parallels based on your experience. I, I would say um, it's probably slower, but for good reason. Um, it's This is a much more regulated space than the computer and electronics industry and the semiconductor industry were and are. Um, you know, I think that this has taken a more of a conservative approach to embracing that concept, but you know, I think I, I give props to all the companies in um, the, in, in particular, the biopharma industry, for for taking that that next step and moving it forward uh, aggressively. Partly out of necessity, and probably in many cases, but but at the same time, there was a model to to look to, and and what I think has been probably within the last, you know, five five to, to 10 years, you, you've seen this concept turn into a very viable solution um, and a very valuable solution to the overall supply chain of, of both drug discovery, but also um, getting products into the market more efficiently and more effectively, because now you're able to leverage a capital infrastructure that's in place for the reasons that uh, it, it was designed for and, and no compromises have to occur relative to to building out the best if you want to be the best. That's interesting. Talk to me about your personal journey from, you mentioned, you know, quite early on, you were involved in that kind of kind of supply chain in those more kind of supply chain roles. But you've yeah. obviously navigated your way kind of up the ladder, so to speak, into more broader managerial, senior managerial and ultimate leadership roles as well. What's been the secret of that journey in, in order to kind of, uh, you know, Right to the top as a CEO of a business today. Yeah, I, I yeah, I wish I I wish there were a secret I could I could I could divulge. <laughs> I'm not sure, um, but I could say that simply, you know, the concept of supply chain when I started my career in nineteen in 1987 didn't even exist. The words were not put together that way, and and so the whole idea of the emergence of the critical nature of supply chain, everything from planning and sourcing and manufacturing and delivering around the world, um, has just come to the forefront. Partly, I would get, I, you know, I would imagine one could say from globalization um, on a, on a, on many of these markets over the years. Um, uh, but as it emerged and it became more and more mainstream, um, a lot of folks. Um, you know, have just seen the tremendous power that's associated with managing a complex supply chain uh, more efficiently in in the terms of the performance of a company. So I think there's just been you know this this maturing aspect of all these technology markets. Because I mean, I, from my perspective, I look at the the biotech industry and the biopharma industry in particular, molecular diagnostics and others as well, as just another form of a technology advancement. And I think technology is leveraging its history now um, in other industries. And I think that's what's very powerful. It's an interesting perspective, actually. I love what you said there about the technology piece, which leads me nicely on to your time at Life Technologies, which um, I understand became part of Thermo at some point. 
So talk us through that time there, and that was prior to you uh, founding Argonaut, which I'm going to clearly come on to, to talk yeah, about. Sure. So, so it'd be good to just get a bit of context of that particular period of of your career, and I suppose what you learned during that period as well. Yeah, so the great question. Um, so from you know, if you go back to when I moved into the the, the in, into the life sciences industry at, at Affymetrics, we were we were involved in the microarray space. Microarrays have been a bit a long long have been a part of of the life sciences uh, industry as an important tool in the development and research of uh, of you know products that are in our life sciences industry. Um, the the bottom line was. Um, you know, when, when I was involved in that, uh, there was this whole thing around sequencing. There's this whole concept that was being developed that led to um, the advancements in, in diagnostics and, and the like from and an immense amount of, of data being created in the, in the world of, of life sciences. The, the, the opportunity arose for me to join a next-gen sequencing company, and I was pretty excited about that. Because I saw the value of what the next this next evolution in technology was going to deliver, and and uh, was pretty excited about the team that was being put together at Ion Torrent in the sequencing space. It was a semiconductor sequencing concept, so I was familiar with the the baseline technology utilized in it. Eventually, Ion Torrent was acquired by Life Technologies, um, and then I joined this team. At, I joined a team at. at at Life Technologies, a great team uh, of folks, and headed up that their overall cl- uh, global supply chain strategy, and had a chance to really work closely with the uh, the manufacturing sites around the world, um, and and build out a more um, you know just a much more mature uh, supply chain organization, and and bringing that whole concept of uh, together, and trying to weave a, a more a, a more cohesive strategy around that to to Life Tech. Um, as you said, eventually LifeTech was acquired by Thermal Fisher, and I spent a few years on the integration and kind of, you know, being involved in that with uh, Thermal Fisher and working to to head up their efforts in the group uh, that was defined as life sciences. So it was really fun. And what did you learn? I suppose and maybe I'm just so I understand that part of your career where you were were you responsible for third party manufacturers at that point? So effectively, I, I was. Yeah, yeah. And they so didn't do a lot. Were, yeah. <laughs> It was doing a lot, but there I was I was responsible for those contract manufacturing uh, arrangements and relationships. So it's always been a part of what I've been doing, um, and SBI goes way back. But um, within the life sciences group, um, I was I was responsible for all that. And I presume that learning in the, the things you I suppose recognized and acknowledged on the client side of things and managing these partners were key to your decision to ultimately found your own business as Argonaut in terms of was there a sense of I could do this better than some of these guys <laughs> or maybe I'm maybe I'm mis- I don't want to put words in your mouth but that was my observation when I was looking at your background yeah well it's interesting there's two things that that really got um that, that really drove me toward this one was the fact that that didn't really exist there wasn't a lot of reagent and diagnostic companies out there in this space providing support for the life sciences market. Um, the biopharma industry was emerging with their their capability on the outsourcing. This goes back ways. Um, it was becoming more and more a, a need in, in the biopharma space. 
But where I came from was primarily on the diagnostic life sciences side. You know, I saw an opportunity where, as remember, I was involved in this next-gen sequencing space. And as companies like Thermo Fisher were growing and learning more about what they wanted to be involved in and how they would be involved in, in a regulated, much more regulated market of diagnostic and life sciences, I saw an opportunity that existed around the basic thesis that said, there's just a massive amount of data, literally petabytes of data being generated, you know, annually um, that produce all this genomic information. And what was really lacking was this idea of application. So if you think about your phone, you know, the concept of, you know, the, the Apple iPhone is wonderful, right? But it's nothing without the applications. And so only when you can develop applications that can be monetized, does all that information really become, you know, uh, more pervasive and available and, and, and driving kind of um, technology. And so, you know, to see these innovators and creators that we were working with um, trying to, to develop a, a base platform, and they did, of course, build that platform out. They acquired one and they built more uh, in this area. Um, they needed a way to sell to people um, this idea that they could build kind of that same concept we talked about in the semiconductor industry where they could be foundryless and they could actually um, construct a business that they didn't have to have all this infrastructure, that they could be these incredibly brilliant um, scientists who could come up with great ideas but not have to worry about how am I going to produce this? How will I have the capital investment to to produce all of this? So. That was one of the core thesis elements of the business. And then the other side was, you know, thinking about where we can skate to where the puck will be was how do we get that whole diagnostic life sciences business to a level of understanding and capabilities from a CGMP perspective and whole quality management system side of things. Um, you know, how can we get there from where we're at at sort of the research use only level uh, of reagents and consumables? And that's kind of where we were able to build a quality management system um, because we chose to also invest in our drug product manufacturing capability. So that group was probably a good 10 years ahead of where we were at in the reagent and diagnostic side. And so uh, we decided to invest in that and that's exactly what we did. And as we continued to grow and learn and, and build our company, we've been able to pattern a lot of capabilities off of these two synergistic components of our business. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And I'm going to come on to ask you about Organo and, and kind of describe the different areas that the, the business operates in. But before I do that, uh, you know, if you rewind back to 2015 you'd obviously had a you'd already had a good 30 years kind of corporate i'm gonna call corporate career where you'd been in well-respected organizations what was it that triggered oh well actually less less you obviously talked about what triggered the decision and some of the reasons how was the conversation with your family and you know, with your partner or, or whoever at the time to you know, sit around the dinner table saying i want to start my own business because you was there an entrepreneurial flame that you just needed to, you know, or a scratch that you needed to itch somewhere in there? I'm just curious, you know, why, you know I'm sure you could have yeah. led another business, but, you know, 
there wouldn't have been a shortage of opportunities. So just curious to understand what it was at that phase of life that that you decided, actually, I'm going to be a founder and start my own business. That's a really great question. And one that, you know, my wife and I spent a lot of time thinking about. I've always been a very passionate leader. I've always tried to create something that I wanted to be, that I considered to be very special. I had a, I had a lot of opportunities in my career over 35 years to work in some pretty special companies. And throughout that, you know, when you're working in those kind of companies and you, you know what that feels like. And, you know, for me, it, it wasn't, it, I, I wasn't finding that in what I was seeing and where I thought things were going. And, and I needed to go find a way and, and sort of taking, you know, the opportunity to, to grab that and go create something special was really what drove me to, to wanting to be this entrepreneur, to take this opportunity and, and found a company that was, um, there to help people. Right. So the concept and the idea of I love about the life sciences industry is that, you know, we're, we're helping people, we're paying it forward every day. And, and I love that idea. Um, and it's, it, it feels really great. But for me personally as well, it, it had that added that that added opportunity or that added uh, uh, advantage of of scratching that that itch I had around, you know, creating something really truly special. And that's what we try to do here at Argonaut. And that's exactly the the you know, I talk to my team every every quarter about this being a special place, and that all it's up to all of us to keep it that way and make it continue to to grow and. And we think that uh, we think we're well down that path. We well, love that, and um, creating something special uh, to help people and pay it forward is a fantastic uh, way of summarizing. And, and despite the fact that I really want to talk about culture and go down that and how you keep it special, I'll I'll, I'll refrain yeah. for the minute because that's something that's a, a particular subject of that I love talking about with other 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 founders. But I, I wanted to ask about the business itself, so. Talk to us about the company today in terms of how it's structured and, and the various I suppose, capabilities and services that you offer, but also through the lens of, is that different to what you set out to do back in 2015, 2016? Has it become something or evolved into something different than you had originally intended, Wayne? Yeah, great question. It hasn't really evolve differently from a business plan perspective. It's actually quite quite consistent. I go back once in a while and have another look and am I missing something? Did we miss something along the way? Should we add it? Did we need to add something? We, but, but no, it's actually emerged kind of the way we, we, we envision. Um, you know, the company is structured into three core competencies and, and we serve uh, these markets um, uh, directly. Um, our, our our first one is our drug product manufacturing facilities and our capabilities in the drug product uh, biopharma services perspective. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that probably later, but um, that's a core comp- uh, competency of the company and one we're very proud of. The second one is is reagents and diagnostic manufacturing. And, and in that group, as I mentioned, that's kind of where we originally got our feet on the ground. It was easier to move quickly into that space in 2016 when we started and um, we, we we grew that component of the business first and then added the direct product capability as we as we matured our quality management system to to manage and, and support that and then the last component of it is 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 work we do on enabling technologies and 
We can talk a little bit about that and how we focus on enabling technologies uh, as a component of our core competencies here in the business. You know, from a facilities perspective, we're a little over 100,000 square feet now here in Carlsbad, California, um, just north of, uh, of San Diego uh, by about 40 minutes and uh, very, uh, a, a very nice place to live, of course, but, but also a, a real, um, you know, sort of, I would call it a West Coast manufacturing centric um, uh, community where the, both the city uh, very much support the, the growth of, of companies in the life sciences space. Uh, we've got a, a wonderful trade association out here that we belong to. And, and it's been a, been a great place to work with a, a smaller um, the smaller city that um, is very dedicated to to this community's um, manufacturing base, which has been fun. It's not easy to say about California, but it is the case in, here in Carlsbad. So we're super excited about that. You know, we we really focused on building, as I said, skating to where the puck will be, and and build out state of the art facilities for you know all of our activities, and we can get into a little bit more of that, but. Um, very, very senior staff of people. Um, we were able to recruit some incredible people into our organization here from the life sciences industry in the area. Carlsbad, as I said, sits in sort of this, um, north of San Diego and in an area that oftentimes is where people originally thought about where they lived and, and, and it was affordable and it was, uh, there are nice communities up here and, and, um, you know, it's where it, it, it's a bit more where people live more so than they, they work. Um, and in the past, traditionally, and having the opportunity to recruit people here um, gives us a competitive advantage because we're much closer to them, avoiding the commutes that they have on some of the freeways we have around here, which are rather famous for being backed up. Um, <laughs> total company is about 140 people. Um, you know, we you know ebb and flow around that number a bit, but but in general, it's about 140 people. 140 people and. Uh, uh, we continue to 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 grow, so it's real exciting. So it goes without saying, but congratulations on the growth of the business in uh, the last seven or eight years or so. And you know, having having been through a similar journey, albeit different types of businesses, you know, building a business and getting it off the ground is one thing, but you know, getting that traction for it to grow and be able to employ that many people is is a huge achievement. So you know, kudos to to you and the team for achieving this but i have to ask the california question you know my perception yeah. having visited and obviously having lived in the u.s and and spent time in california that is not a cheap place by any stretch of the imagination yeah. so i suppose my i you know, appreciate this you spent you're from or you've spent a, the bulk of your life in california yeah. from what i understand but i'm just i try and understand the complexities or challenges when building uh, say cmo services if we if we take your kind of drug product and enabling technology piece we'll come back to the reagents and, and diagnostics piece but yeah. if you if you just hit those elements and you know staffing is expensive everywhere across across the globe at the minute um you know one of the business that i've founded is a, is called lead candidate which is a talent business in this exact space so i just know from that business just because i see some of the salaries and it is eye-watering so how do you how do you deal with that with when you overlay that with you know San Diego and California being an expensive place to live generally? Does that how do you get that balance right? Because presumably if you're up against uh, pitching for some work against I don't know maybe a a European 
business or even a, a kind of a south uh, or a central you know based in the, in the middle of the USA type business are you able to be competitive in that sense because I'm guessing your cost base is higher uh, but maybe it's maybe it's the talent you're able to attract um just because I think it's quite interesting the business you've built in that particular location I think it's fascinating so I'm just uh I suppose going a very long-winded way of saying like how would how do you manage that how do the numbers work I suppose in all of this yeah well I think there's a few things that you know this is where history repeats itself and like I, I've, I've said this a number of different times in different ways to folks but but history does repeat itself and 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 as I said I think of both of these markets we serve as being very technology oriented. Um, clearly, as technology oriented companies go, um, the the idea that um, you know th- that brain trust can be centered in anything more more greater than um, California, I think is is hard to hard to beat. So I think you know when we think about that and we think about the maturity of the concept of of outsourcing. And, and and still, and to this day, I think drug product is the same way to some level, but our complete business is still in the early stages of maturing its its overall supply chain. I was reading an interesting article from Deloitte yesterday, uh, this morning actually, um, about some of this in life sciences. And um, it was really interesting to, to, to read the corollaries to, you know, the two other industries I had the privilege of being involved in, these are rather immature markets still. Um, one is really immature in the diagnostic life sciences, but dark products is still growing and learning and figuring it all out about how this becomes a competitive advantage for companies leveraging best of breed and, and, uh, and that expertise from other companies. And so that idea requires us to be close to these innovators and creators. And that's what I was really trying to answer for. So when I literally, you know, we did a search, I've lived here in California, I was born and raised in California, but was prepared to move this business wherever we needed to be. Um, we did an analysis of, of that, but that basic, that, that basic assumption we had, which was that we needed to be close to the customer base because this was still an emerging opportunity, an emerging market, um, was central to you know our our philosophy that if we were going to build a company, we needed to be close to the customer. We needed the customer to feel that we were um, you know there for them all the way. Um, and so we evaluated four or five different places around the around the United States uh, where we could put this. Um, I think. You know, when, when we think about like, would you, you know, have put this in the middle of the country? Does this make better sense there? I think it does until you're, you know, and, until there's a problem and, or you need help. And that's where you really need the customers to know that, Hey, I could get there on a plane pretty quick, or I could be there in 20 minutes driving up from Sorrento Valley here in San Diego and make sure that those customers felt they had that kind of support. So that's why we chose here in California, chosen Carlsbad. Um, uh, and, you know, when I talked with the mayor, when we first decided we were going to move up here or, and set up the business, um, you know, I, I shared that story. I said, look, we have to be competitive. We have to find a way to, you know, not let the bureaucracy of the state of California get in our way. We needed to keep this thing moving. We needed to prove that we were going to be competitive. And, and you know our investments in in capital assets are have been an enormous part of our spend over the last uh, 
seven years. And so, you know, we're, we're investing in people, but we're investing in automation and we're investing in the level of infrastructure that's going to keep it as cost competitive as we can. No, thanks for that. Because I think it is, I interviewed a guest recently and I think um, his episode will air before yours and that's a, a CDMO business base in Oklahoma. And actually it was interesting getting Jesse, who's the CEO there, his perspective on how he ended up setting up there. And there are certain similarities, but there are obviously contrasts and considerations that ultimately led them down that route to, to be there and you guys where you are in California or everything that you've just kind of mentioned there makes complete sense. Especially, I think what you talk about—that kind of closeness to clients—like I think that is that is hard to replicate, and uh, that's something that I'll no doubt if you know if you're a Californian-based uh, biotech that's looking for someone to you know to help with a project, and the fact that you're down the road, I think will probably do, <laughs> do you guys no harm when it when it comes to that. So that's fascinating to get kind of your perspective. I I didn't want to go down the the, the road of culture, but I do have a question just because. Uh, you know, just because I was in the office in my business, uh, remarketing this afternoon, and one of the things that we came up in conversation, you know, we've gone over 80, I think 80 people, 85 people now, was this concept of, well, how do you, it was talking about, you know, how do we have that kind of high touch with customers and make sure that as we scale, that remains and is it kind of a you know, real part of our DNA. And I want to rewind back to something you said, like, you know, you want to create a business that is special um, and feel special presumably to work and also that kind of client experience part of it there. So at 140 people, I can't imagine that you are now um, having day-to-day contact with every single person in that business. So how have you learned to, I suppose, deal with that scale-up challenge of, it sounds like business has been healthy and growing and demand is there for the various things you offer, but is it... Is it harder now than ever to create and retain that specialness that you've got at, at Argonaut? Yeah, I don't think it's hard. I would say it's a, it's certainly a challenge as the company has grown. You know, I meet with every employee in our company after they've been hired to sit down and, and read a short story that I use to, to help drive the, the culture that we're trying to create. It centers around our values and centers around what we really want those team members to understand about um, our company. And then, as I said, I share every quarter the importance of of this in our culture. and And it's um, it, 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 we've tried to, to to distill it down to four core values within the company and and try to make sure that people understand how they relate to creating that special place here at Argonaut and, uh, and being a part of this special opportunity to, to establish a contract manufacturing company in California here where we all live and, and, uh, really build, um, on the idea that, that, you know, whether you stay here for, uh, you know, five years, you stay here for your career, um, you're working and ha- and can say that was a really cool place to be in a very special company to work for. Um, and, um, you know, that's my hope that we, we build that and deliver on that. But to, to say that it's hard isn't, I don't think the right way. It's just a matter of commitment really to, to from all my leadership, um, members, um, and, and from everybody else. And I think they do just a fabulous job of, of, of trying to, to help embrace that idea. 
And I think your point around values is critical. Um, and that's something that I certainly have seen in, in my own business, but other, other businesses that I've been involved in and getting clients that I've worked with, that kind of bringing it back to those values as behaviors is kind of markets, but the way that we do things around here is absolutely critical for a business scaling. So I absolutely echo uh, the sentiment there. And I've just returned from uh, Japan on a from a vacation and a conversation I had with a friend who was on ho- on, on holiday with. Uh, we got into this. We, he, he's a big wine drinker, and we got into the subject of wine. And he's trying to get me to drink white wine because I'm a fan of red wine. And he was telling me about a Californian Chardonnay. And then, as I was preparing for today's episode, I noticed something interesting about you that okay. you are someone that um, bottles his own wine. So let's yeah. talk about wine. Um, I'm sure, again, it's funny because some of the guests I've had on our podcast, um, you know, one guest from Tarumo, farmer in Europe, him and his brother own a, a winery in Italy. So I need to get the, uh, I need to get some kind of podcast alumni winemaker. <laughs> but tell us, tell us a bit about your passion for wine. Um, you know, uh, is this something, is this, wine you can buy off this you know you can actually buy or is this something that you use more of a kind of a pastime it's not wine you buy <laughs> it's i had a i had a great opportunity when i was living in the bay area to work with some some great people who introduced me to the to an idea that they had of, of producing our own wine and 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 that learned from some really experienced guys that that had done it for a few years before i did and I spent 10 years with those guys making wine every year, going out wow. and grapes and learning more about the whole process. And so, um, and my, my, my family owns a, uh, second home in, in the, in an area called Paso Robles in California here, which is a, a really emerging wine region. And, uh, so I planted a couple hundred vines and, um, you know, have been pampering these poor things for the last probably seven, eight years, um, to, you know, be able to produce, um, you know, enough wine for myself and our family, um, to, uh, to, to enjoy. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, I, I enjoy it because it has certain level of, of, of precision to it that, that, uh, some can, can really screw up and <laughs> it tastes horrible, but I've had, I've had some really good luck with making wine that everybody seems to enjoy and, and uh just love i love that whole concept of of creating it's uh it's it's a fun process and and it blends you know that discipline that it takes to produce it uh, i i um i you know have a, a whole new you know respect for the farmers that grow all these grapes and and tend to them and baby them and and then deliver some incredible wine you you know that's uh that's that's where all the hard work is done just so you know <laughs> I, I, it's very cool, I have to say. Like the way you describe it, I'm sure me and every other listener is like, "Oh, I want to make my own wine." That sounds yeah. amazing. Um, and obviously, there are there are not many nicer places in the world than where, where you are as well. So that's very cool. I'm going to ask you about just because you said like you know the kind of pampering and nurturing, and I listened to a really interesting podcast um, while I was on vacation recently, and it was the guy that started Shake Shack and. He he talked about um, his grandmother had uh, said, "Look after the you know when you're making a tomato sauce, really look after 
the tomatoes from when you purchase them, where you purchase them from, you know, don't throw them in the back of the fridge and all, all that type right. of thing. And, he, and, he, and he, he actually brought a parallel with that's how he thinks about looking after people in his business, that you really look after the people and then, you know, it all you know, and it kind of leads to the end product and the magic in kind of, you know, in what the service is like, what the food is like. So in that, the reason I mentioned that is I'm just interested because it like, it's so the bottling of the wine in one sense is so different to what you do in your day job. You mentioned certain words like nurturing and precision and even the creativity and the discipline of it all. Are there any parallels with how you've created and run and grown a business and build a culture? Or do you just never think of them as, as being uh, comparable in any way? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I hadn't really contemplated it, but I think you've, you've opened my eyes a little bit to the reality of it all. But I mean, if you think about making wine, you know, the, the process is, is, is a journey of, of, of years, not, not weeks, days, quarters, or anything like that. It's, it's a, a journey of years. And so if I think about it in the context of our business, um, you know, it's the same thing. You, you can hire great people and we've hired some incredible people, but they don't, you know, perhaps sometimes fit with what we're trying to do within the culture of the company. And, and those folks find their way to, to something else to do and, and, and amen for, for that, for both them and us. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, not every bottle of wine turns out really great at the end. <laughs> and your goal is, your, your goal is to, is to make an incredible wine that you feel like you can embrace. And I, and I love that analogy that you brought there, which is great. Um, and it's one I'll probably borrow from you. Um, because it is a good one and it's, it, it is very collective. I can't take credit for, for unfortunately, it was uh, yeah. a guy called Danny Meyer or Mayer. He was the founder of Shake Shack and I, and I heard it on the, um, in a very popular Tim Ferriss podcast recently. And it's just because he talked about that in terms of building culture. And I'd recommend it for any, uh, pr- you know, business people out there, which is majority of our listeners, you know, listening to how he thought about, you know, building that that company and managing teams and leading and nurturing and some of the, so I was just interested given your experience and the success you've had. So, uh, yeah, you'll be probably scratching your head about that and thinking about it all day, which is what happened to me when I Yeah, did. yeah, it's a really good it's, one. It's a good one. It's really quite a fascinating way. And I know we've, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, and so let's, let's talk about the future then. So, and yeah. talk about both in two respects. So first, you know, great to get your take on, the market and where we are today. So, you know, time of recording, we're in April, um, 2023, we've had some economic challenges. Inflation is high biotech kind of capital slowdown, few issues with some banks in Europe and the U S how's demand looking for your services. And are you seeing any of those macro factors kind of, you know, affect your kind of business op- operations at Argonaut or is it kind of, is it still pretty rosy from a demand perspective? Yeah, I would say that, you know, there's no doubt some of that macroeconomic activity has had its trickling down effect in, in particular our drug product business, but we've been very blessed to see, you know, strong demand continues. Um, bookings remain very, very robust. Um, but, you know, the other side of our business is in the diagnostic life sciences side, this little thing called you know, COVID that came through and had an incredible, um, impact on everybody in life sciences for that, for that matter. And, you know, unfortunately, 
you know, at least here in the U.S., we lost over a million people in that. And and I think we all don't yet quite comprehend what that pandemic did to everything that we were all involved in here in life sciences. So there is a there is an unquestionable you know bullwhip effect that still is working its way down toward the end of the end of the whip. So I think that you know we've seen some ups and downs. We've seen some you know some bright spots and then some dark spots and. And I don't think we're done with that yet. And I think that's going to be something we'll all be talking about throughout 23. Um, but I still remain incredibly optimistic about where this market overall will go um, of life sciences because at the end of the day, people need to be, you know, feel feel very comfortable that our life sciences industry can deliver both therapeutics and 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 diagnostics to them that they want to, um, you know, th- th- they want to invest in that. I think people, I think customers and investors and, you know, the general public see now the power of life sciences, um, what we can do when we need to, and, um, they want more of that. And I think this is, you know, honestly, the next big thing here in, you know, on a macro trend level. And uh, we just have to be there to, you know, to respond when, when, when the time is right. And that's what we, that's how we see it in our business alone. It's been, you know, a, a little bit choppy here for the first, uh, first three months of the, the, the year, but we felt very confident that, you know, we're still in the right place. And final question, I suppose, going back to how you described the different areas of the, the business, obviously the enabling technology, drug product. And the reagents and di- diagnostic manufacturing is some of the thinking behind having a, a slightly more diverse portfolio of services to, I suppose, to be better prepared for these kind of economic shifts. So you you, you don't have all your eggs in say the drug product uh, kind of bucket. Is that was that some of the thinking behind it, um, or you know, is it just it's just the way that things have evolved? But it presumably leaves you with being less vulnerable. If, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's very much deliberate that we were um, as diverse in this. We had the benefit of, you know, if you, as a manufacturing professional and an operational uh, person for so long in my career, um, you know, I kind of look at the world in basic concepts of and constructs of the theory of operations and what we do in manufacturing is formulate, fill, and finish. We do this in both of these markets. Um, and we do this under highly regulated requirements that, that we've self-imposed upon ourselves to offer as a service to both of these markets. So this was very deliberate because the, the reagent and diagnostic space would, is, is, it goes, it moves faster. Products move to the commercialization level much quicker under different guidelines from, from the FDA and the other governing bodies, um, than a, than a drug product would, um, and, and for obvious reasons. Um, and we just see this as a tremendous competitive advantage to balance those two markets against one another. Um, and we can, you know, we can move, um, in, in such a way that as things, you know, go during the pandemic, our diagnostic and life sciences business was, was amazingly high growth. And, and, and now that the drug product side of the business is kind of picking up more and more momentum each and every, each quarter. And we're, we're seeing that balance out some of that, that other side of the bullwhip I mentioned, and, uh, it's been working out kind of as planned. 
that's great to hear. And I think that's a, a fitting way to end uh, the the conversation. And it's been a genuine pleasure, Wayne, to uh, speak to you today. Um, you achieved a huge amount in your career, and and you know, kudos to the success that you've had, particularly in the last decade or so with Argonne. And long may it continue. So, thank you very much for for being a guest on Molecule to Market. Thanks very much, Ramon. I've really enjoyed this conversation and wish you all the best of luck in all your endeavors. You sound very entrepreneurial and that I'm sure you, you have tremendous success in your business as well as you continue. So good luck to you. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically and please get in touch via our website at molecule to market pod or via linkedin or twitter we love to hear from you so if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on molecule to market then please let us know we'll see you very soon listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.